Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. All right. Way to the front. Turn to me, uh, with me to Judges chapter number 15. Uh, we are going to, if, if uh, you have done your devotion today, you know exactly where we are. Uh, uh, we are going to talk about Samson a little bit tonight, uh, talk about revival tonight, and, and go into more detail <clears throat> about this particular chapter and what God did for him. How many of y'all have ever been tired? Now, how many of y'all have ever been spiritually and emotionally tired? Do you realize you don't even necessarily have to be physically tired, but if you're emotionally and spiritually tired, it will make you physically tired? That's what we want to talk about tonight. This is, this is revival. This is revival. There's a great phrase. There's a great phrase in this particular chapter. It says, and he revived. And he revived. Uh, that's what I want to take place in our church. That's why we are doing devotions. That's why we are fasting. That's why we are praying. That's why we are seeking God's presence. We're seeking God's touch. And this, this, this man, I, I, the more I dug, the more I, I, I wanted to try to stay in this particular chapter, but it didn't work that way. I kept, I, I kept looking and, <coughs> excuse me, reading. I went all the way back to the beginning of the book and, and seen so many things. Every, every time I would dig further, more stuff would show up. Uh, so we're going to talk about this. And he revived. He revived. He was frustrated. He, he was fatigued. He was wore out. He was just spent. But God revived him. Amen? All right. Who needs a lesson? Who needs a lesson? I think somebody's got lessons. Now, raise your hand real high. Raise your hand real high. And uh, we've got them passing them out there. If you did not pick up a lesson, I want you to make sure and get a lesson and fill it out. While we, raise your hand real high, right here in the front, right here in the front. All right, all right, right here on the right here on the very front. Johnny, right there. Okay, all right, all right. If you found Judges fifteen, say Amen. amen. Let's look in verse number nine. We're going to read just a few verses here, and then we'll pray. <clears throat> Then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why are you come up against us? And they answered, To bind Samson are we come up, to do him as he hath done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock, Edom, and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done unto us? And he said unto them, As they did unto me, so have I done unto them. And they said unto him, We are come down to bind thee, that we may deliver thee into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, Swear unto me that ye will not fall upon me yourselves. And they spake unto him, Say, No, but we will bind thee fast and deliver thee into their hand. But surely we will not kill thee. And they bound him with two new cords and brought him up from the rock. And when he came unto Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loose from off of his hands. And he found a new jawbone of an ass, and put forth his hand, and took it, and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone, or with the jaw of an ass, have I slain a thousand men. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking, that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand, and called the place Ramath Leah. And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given thee great deliverance into the hand of thy servant. Now shall I die for thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? 
But God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw. And there came water there out. And when he had drunk, his spirit came again. Say it with me. And, and he revived. Wherefore he called the name thereof in Hakaru, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of, it, of the Philistines 20 years. Lord, please help us tonight. Please help me. God, there's so much in my mind. There's so much in my head. I want to I, I share uh, with your people what you have shared with me. And God, I pray in Jesus' name, as, as humble as I know how, please anoint my mind, anoint my heart, anoint my mouth. God, just let me be a mouthpiece for you. I pray that I will speak your word. I, will, I pray that you will give me the words to say that we can leave here and know we heard from God. And Lord, we'll thank you for all that you've done. We'll thank you for the privilege of being in your house, the privilege of hearing your word, the privilege of meeting together and fellowshipping with your people. God, we thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you go back, if you go back to the beginning of this book, if you go back to the beginning of Judges, uh, you will find out, this is, this is, let's just do a little history lesson real quick. Uh, we are in the land of Canaan. We are in the promised land. Uh, we are in the place that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are in the place that, that God told Moses that he would lead the children of Israel to uh, when they came out of Egypt. We are in the place here in this particular uh, book where God said, I will give you uh, wells that you did not dig, houses that you did not build. I will give you vineyards that you did not plant. I'm going to take you to a land of milk and honey. It's Canaan land. It's the promised land, if you will. It's been worded that several times, the promised land. Now, we know that when, when Moses got to the, the, uh, the, to the Jordan River, God did not allow him to go in. Uh, we know that it was Joshua that took them in. And when they went into the promised land, there was much fighting. There was many battles. Uh, they had to fight. They had to fight and take what God had promised them. Now, we do know this, that even though they went in and they had to fight for what God had promised them, God went before them and did the fighting for them. Say amen. God said, I want you to run them out. I want you to conquer. I want you to claim. I want you to take what I have promised you as far as you can see. He told Joshua, wherever you set your foot, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to be with thee as I was with Moses. Everywhere you go, I'm going to help you. Drive them out. Drive them out. Well, we know that the nation of Israel was not obedient. It's amazing. It's amazing. There's, man, there's so much I want to say tonight. Uh, uh, God gave them promises. God gave them promises. He gave them instructions. He gave them responsibilities. And, and he, he told them, he said, I, I placed before you blessings and I placed before you cursings. I placed before you promises. I want you to take the blessings. If you will do what I say, if you will obey me, then you will receive the blessings. But if you rebel and disobey me, you will receive the cursings. I placed before you. Which will you choose? They had it all. They had all the blessings of God. They had all the touch of God. They had all the favor of God. But we know that when they went into the promised land, they were not completely obedient to what God told them to do. And instead of driving them out utterly like they were supposed to do, they left some of them. And I'm not going to take you there, but you can go in your own time and research it. You'll find out that there were some peoples that they left, and instead of driving them out, they turned them into 
bond people. They turn them into tax debtors. In other words, let's don't drive them out. Let's make some money off of them. Let's let them pay us. Let's, let's use them. Instead of doing what God said, money became an issue and money became more important than priority. Money became more important than being obedient to God. And because they left them there, they were a snare to them their entire days. And here we are. Here we are in the book of Judges. Joshua's dead. The Bible says as long as Joshua was alive and all the elders with him, they followed the Lord, but now Joshua is dead. Now, the the Bible says that they turned their back. There arose another generation after him who knew not the Lord. This is in the beginning of Judges. And there is a repetitive pattern that happens over and over and over and over again. A repetitive pattern. We find that the people rebel, the people disobey God, and when the people rebel and disobey God, God takes the hand of protection off of them. God allows the enemy to come in. God allows foreign people to come in and conquer the nation and keep them in bondage and keep them in in a very difficult way. But thank God for his mercy. Say amen. I find find two specific times. I find two specific times where God, listen, his, his wrath and his righteousness and his justice brings in the enemy to punish Israel and to get their attention. But when they cry out to him, it says he has compassion on them. And I'm glad even in his justice we will find mercy. But this repetitive pattern over. The people rebel. The people disobey. When they disobey, a foreign enemy comes in and conquers them and has dominion over them and controls them, if you will. Then here's what happens. They cry out. As soon as that happens, as soon as they get into bondage, as soon as they get into difficulty, as soon as the situation gets difficult, then they cry out to God. And in God's mercy, God raises up a judge. He raises up a hero, if you will. He raises up a deliverer. He raises up somebody who will come to their aid. And then we know what happens. They, they, he does what he does. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. We love God again. And then the judge dies. And then they forget. In other words, 9-11 happens and planes fly into buildings and everybody flocks to the church and everybody pray billboards everywhere people pray americans pray we need god and and now everything's better and we forget and then they rebel and disobey god again and now the cycle starts over chapter after chapter after chapter disobey God takes his hand of protection off he allows the foreign enemy to come in and have dominion they cry out to him he raises up a deliverer cycle after cycle after cycle but then something different takes place when we get to Samson it's different matter of fact if you, will, if you will go right before Samson, you'll find out that every time, every time that they cried out, every time that they cried out, that he would raise up a judge. But the cycle right before Samson, when they cried out, he said, go cry to the ones you've been serving. 
You forget me all the time. And it's almost, it's almost like they've got God frustrated. Go, go to the ones you've been praying to. Go to the, go to the idolatrous uh, temples you've been going to. Go, don't call to me. Don't call to me. But we know in his mercy, he raises up another judge. But now, something's different. If you're writing notes down, write this down. In this book, in this book, the first thing we see, the first thing we see is we find the enemy at work. We find the enemy's activity, if you will. In Judges chapter number 14, when we begin, really, Judges uh, 13 begins the story of Samson and tells how God raises up him from a baby. Matter of fact, we, we find all the details going into it. Now, I really want to talk about that, but we don't have time tonight. But it's a great read. Go home and read chapter 13, how, how, how separation will bring the power of God. Amen. But in chapter 14, the Bible says in verse number 4, Samson decides to go get a woman and go get a wife of the Philistines. And, and then it's not, it don't really go over good with his parents. They don't like that because that's really uh, not the way it was supposed to be. Uh, but it says in verse number 4, But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he saw an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time... The Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now that tells me something. The enemy wants dominion over the children of God. Dominion means control. Dominion means rule. Dominion means basically bondage. To keep them in slavery. To keep them in control. Do you realize that the devil wants dominion over your life? Do you realize that, 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 hey, Adam, I give you dominion over the earth, but Adam lost it in sin. Now the devil is the God of this world. And, and you, as a child of God, you are different. You, as a child of God, you have the Spirit of God in you, and you have power beyond your wildest imagination. Behold, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But just because you got saved and just because you've been redeemed, that doesn't mean that the God of this world doesn't still desire to have dominion over your life. He wants to control your thoughts. He wants to control your actions. He wants to control your life. And listen, there are so many people that's in bondage to sin. They're in bondage to iniquity. They're in bondage to fear. They're in bondage to bitterness. They're in bondage to pride because the enemy wants dominion over your life. And I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about God's people. How do we, how do we allow the, the, the enemy to have dominion over our life? The Bible says in Romans six fourteen, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? You know what that means? That means we can, we can allow Satan to have dominion over us. We're saved. 
We're the children of God. We're the saints of the living God. Yet we can allow Satan control in our life. He controls Christians by fear. Y'all with me? Timidness. Dominion, the, the enemy's activity is to control you. He wants to control you. He wants dominion over your life. And we see the enemy here. He says it was at that time that the enemy had dominion over God's children. We see the enemy's activity. But then I want you to see the Lord's advocacy. I love this one. I love, I, I say amen. Let me tell you something. God hates it when his children are not in charge. God hates it when the devil is getting victory in your life. And I hope you get what I'm saying tonight. God wants you to be the head and not the tail. God wants you to be the loner and not the one in debt. God wants you to be the conqueror, not the conquered. God wants you to be the victor and not the victim. And this does not sit well with God when the enemy is in dominion in the lives of his children. So what does he do? Look what it says, verse 4, chapter 14, verse 4. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. Let me break that down in Alabama talk. He wanted to pick a fight with the enemy. God desired to pick a fight with the enemy. And he was using Samson to do it. Say, why would God do that? Same reason he picked a fight with Pharaoh. To show him what's up. Think about it. These are his children. He said he saw an occasion. That means he's picking a fight with the enemy. Now let's keep this in context for where we are at Temple. Revival means that God is going to pick a fight with what's got you bound. You, some of y'all ain't getting it. Revival means that God is going to intercede on your behalf because he's tired of seeing the enemy having dominion in your life. And he's going to pick a fight. Now let me tell you something. When God goes to picking a fight, the devil ain't going to like it. Because you, you see, if you go home and read in detail, I don't have time, but I want you to, you'll find out that the enemy is a Philistine and they didn't like what Samson was doing. Samson burned up the fields with foxes. Samson got all up in their business. God picked a fight in the area of their most precious prized possession and their, their, their material wealth and their material gains. That's why, that's why the people got so mad when Paul cast out the demon out of the one that was bringing the most money to their wickedness. 
Preacher, why are you saying all this? Because I'm going to tell you this. When, when God starts sending revival, that means he's picking a fight. And if he's picking a fight, you better get ready. Because the devil is not going to take it laying down. He's not going to say, y'all, y'all get refreshed. Y'all just get revived. Just let the Holy Ghost come in here. And that's just wonderful. I'm so glad that y'all are feeling the, the touch of the Lord. And, and y'all are getting God's power in your life. He's going to come against this place and, and, and all of his ferociousness. Because God's picking a fight. We see, we see the Lord's. We see the Lord's advocacy. I'm glad he'll stand up for his children. Say amen. amen. But then I want you to see this. I want you. This is an intro, by the way. We'll get to the message in a minute. <laughs> then we see this is the saddest part of the whole book. You remember a while ago when I said everything changed? Now we see the nation's apathy. Apathy. Watch this. Watch this. This is so sad. God has raised up a hero. God has picked a fight with the enemy. God has raised up a man who desired to bring revival. In verse 9 of chapter 15, he picked a fight with him. He's got them all mad. He's got the enemy mad. He's got the enemy stirred up. And now they're coming for him. They're coming for the one who's doing the stirring. You let certain saints of God in this place get on fire for God and start pulling on the devil's tail, and he's going to come for them. Now watch. When they came for him, the men of Judah, the nation there, why are you come up against us? And they answered to bind Samson, or we come up to do him as he had done. Watch this, watch this. Then 3,000 men went to the top of the rock Edom and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? Don't you realize that this is just the way it is? Now watch. Watch. In every chapter, I think it's chapter 2, chapter 6, chapter 10 maybe. Go go home and read it. But every time they disobey, God allowed the enemy to come. They cried out to the Lord. God raised up a judge and delivered. Every time, until this time. Nowhere can we find where they cried unto the Lord for deliverance. Nowhere. In other words, they become settled in the situation they were in. They just accepted that this is the way it's going to be. Now watch, now watch. They're telling Samson, don't you realize this is just the way it is, man? Why are you trying to stir up things? Why are you trying to cause problems? 
Don't you realize, do you realize they didn't get 3,000 men to fight the enemy. They got 3,000 men to come against the one who was trying to do something for them. You know what's happening in our country? In our churches? Someone will get on fire for God. And they'll start stirring the nest. And people who are satisfied with their marriages, satisfied with their condition, satisfied in their spiritual state, satisfied where they are. They don't want nobody to rock the boat. They don't want nobody to say there's any problem. Then just let me do what I do. Let me have what I have. Listen, don't mess with what we got. And instead of fighting the enemy who has them in bondage, instead of fighting the enemy who is in dominion over them, they come against the very one who God has raised up to stir things up, to bring deliverance into their lives. And they say, man, it is what it is. I settle for a bad marriage because I don't think it can be a good one. I settle for a bad relationship because I don't think it can be a good one. I've been in this state so long, I think this is all there is to have. Apathy. Preacher, that's, that's back there. No, no, no. The Bible says in Revelation chapter number 3 that in the last days we are in a Laodicean church age. And this is how he describes a Laodicean church. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold nor hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. There's no cry for deliverance. There's no cry for help. There's no cry. There's no calling out to God. There's no saying, God, get us out of this situation. God, deliver us because they had become so settled with where they were. You know what? If we are settled where we were, we'll never experience revival till we get dissatisfied with the condition of our spiritual life and say, God, I want more of your power in my life nation's apathy to me that's the saddest part about this whole deal so now you find that the minister the servant the one that God raised up to bring revival he's not just fighting against the enemy now he's facing his brethren It's amazing to me the people and the looks I got when I said, and I challenged people to fast and pray. Hey, everything's all right. I've got a job. I've got a place to stay. Hey, let's don't get, let's don't get too crazy. I tell you, the church in America is apathetic. And because it's apathetic, it's pathetic. So here we have, here we have the God-called man who has been raised up to bring revival, bring deliverance. He's facing the wrath of the enemy. He's facing the apathy of his brethren. And it's amazing. I don't want to spend too much time on this because I want to get to the outline, but, but it, it, it's funny that when we fail to see where we really are, 
We have slid to the place in America where we are so slowly and so deceptively, we have no clue how many freedoms we've already lost in America. And for 40 years, the enemy has had dominion. And they've had dominion so long, they've just grown used to it. They've not experienced the power of God in so long, they've just grown to not have it. And then when somebody comes to stir things up, they turn against him and not the enemy. Fourthly, we not only see the enemy's the enemy's activity, the Lord's advocacy, the nation's apathy, but I want you to see the servant's adversity. <coughs> Samson has been raised up by God to bring deliverance to the nation of Israel, but as we see in this chapter, there are many things that he has to deal with in the process of accomplishing the will of God. What he faced in this chapter, we will face in everyday life, excuse me, if we decide to be a vessel that God can use to bring revival to our communities and our churches. We will get weary. We will get frustrated. But God is able to refresh and revive even the faintest soldier in the battle. How about we look into this further? Say amen. amen. Let's see some things that he faced and found. He's coming down, which is, is really cool. You got to understand that Philistines and the Israelites knew about his supernatural strength and power. That's why they said, well, you let us take you in. He said, okay, and I'm going to let you do this if you don't fall on me yourself. Now, it, it wasn't that he was afraid of them. He didn't want to hurt his own countrymen. And they had no idea the mercy that he was showing them by turning himself in. Because if he just escaped, then they would have taken out their anger. The Philistines would have taken out their anger on the men of Judah. So Samson did them a favor by giving himself up. They tie him up. And I believe it's in specific, it says by the new cords, because God wanted you to understand that this wasn't rotten rags that they was tying him in. Uh, This was the supernatural power of God. Y'all with me? So here they come. Here they come. They come down to the Philistines. The Philistines roar against him. He gets the supernatural strength of the Holy Spirit. He snatches off the bonds. He looks down, and there's the jawbone of a donkey. He picks that jawbone up and goes to town. Say amen. And I'm talking about he's fighting right and left, single handedly took that jawbone and killed a thousand men what's he doing he's bringing revival what's he doing he's bringing deliverance what's he doing he's ministering he's fulfilling the call of God in his life attacking the enemy now watch the Bible says when he got through he said I have killed a thousand men. I stacked them up. Thousand men with a jawbone. I've killed a thousand. Look what I have done. Look what I have accomplished. Look what I have done. How many of y'all know you, 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 you kill a thousand men with a jawbone 
you're going to be tired. He threw it down. He got desperately thirsty. Now, here's what I want you to see. Number one, in the will of God, say that with me. I mean right dab smack in the middle of the will of God, doing exactly what God wants you to do, you will experience fatigue. You will get tired. Say, why? How do you know that? By experience, amen. No, the Bible says, be not weary in well-doing. Why would he tell you not to be weary in well-doing? Because he knew you would be weary in well-doing. Now watch, watch. He got tired. Look at A, write this down. In the service of the Lord, in the ministry, in revival, there's a reality we must understand. There's a reality we must understand. That the burden is wearisome and the body is weak. I've heard preachers say this. uh, The devil don't have a day off. Well, you're not a supernatural being. The devil don't take no time off. Hey, if Jesus took time off, you need to take time off. Your body is weak. Sometimes we can go and 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 think that God's just going to make up for our foolishness. But that, that's not reality. You know what I found out? The Bible says this. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is, my yoke is, and my burden is. You know, there's been times in my ministry I'm trying to figure out whose burden I'm carrying. Because the one I'm carrying, it's pretty heavy. Do you know the Bible also says this about a soldier? And if we'll tie these together, it'll make sense. You know what the Bible says about a good soldier? A good soldier doesn't entangle himself with the affairs of this life. I thought about a, a military show that I saw one time. And this, this, this lineup of recruits was standing there in front of this drill sergeant. And it was, I mean, it was just, I mean, he was giving it to him, raising cane, talking about, and said, and, he, and I, I, I can't remember exactly how it was worded, but it was basically, this was the point. Uh, it was something about a girlfriend or a wife. And he said, if Uncle Sam wanted you to have a wife, he'd have issued you one. And the point he was making, he was, the point he was making to these men that when you're on the battlefield, you don't need to be thinking about home. You don't need to be worrying about who's going to get the mail. 
You don't need to be, you don't need to be distracted by who's going to pay the light bill. You need to be focused on the battle. You don't need to be distracted by anything. And you know what I think happens many times? We, we put more in our bag than Jesus does. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we put all kind of stuff in our bag and we carry it and we get weary and we get tired. And in the, in the, in the, in the midst of the battle, we get fatigued. Because sometimes we do more than what God is asking us to do. Sometimes the wife tries to take over her husband's job and do what he's supposed to do in the leadership role. And she gets weary and fatigued because God didn't wire her for that. And the same goes the opposite. Listen, trust me. In the ministry, in in, in service, if we're not careful, we will do more than we're supposed to do. And we're going to get tired. Because our flesh is weak. Now, let me say this. Let me say this. On, On a different note. Sometimes, bringing up B, sometimes it's not that we're doing more than we're supposed to do in it. It's us doing it. Y'all catch that in a minute. Not only is there a reality we must understand, but there's a reminder we must utilize. Watch, watch this now. Watch this. Verse 16. And Samson said... With the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps. With the jaw of an ass, have I slain a thousand men? Have I slain a thousand men? Have I slain a thousand men? But see, if I go back in verse 14, it says, When he came into the Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Sometimes we get to thinking it's us and not him. Let me tell you something. God said, you did. You killed a thousand men all by yourself. Is that right? Did you notice he didn't get, and when it says sore thirst, it means, it means almost deathly, at the point of death. He didn't get in bad shape until he claimed all the credit. Look what I did. I stacked them up. Heaps upon heaps. It's really a word play. Some, some uh, commentaries and Bible scholars saying he's, he's almost in a joking manner. And he's, and he's making a word play. He's saying, I stacked them up. Look what I did. Basically taking all the credit. Now watch, watch the very next verse. Very next verse. It came to pass when he made an end of speaking that he cast away the jawbone out of his hand and called the place Ramoth Lehi. And he was sore thirst. 
Samson in verse 16 uses the phrase, I have I slain a thousand men. And sometimes God will let us get tired to remind us that we need him and that the power to accomplish his will is through him. John 15, 5. Read it with me. John 15, 5. It's in your notes. I am the vine. Read it with me, everybody. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, with the Lord, he rent a line like it was nothing. With the Lord, he did supernatural feats. He catches 300 jackals or foxes and burns up fields. With the Lord, he, he, he breaks cords, new cords like they was nothing. Uh, with heaps upon heaps, thousands and thousands of men, he destroyed single-handedly with the Lord. But we find later on in a few chapters that without the Lord, he got his eyes poked out. Without the Lord, he got pulled into slavery and into chains. And watch this. And somebody else had dominion over him. Preacher, what are you saying? Sometimes we will think it's all about the program. And not the power. We took classes to help us reach people here at Temple. Monthly classes. We'd go. Your leaders committed two years of their life to go to these classes every month. Great things. And we want to learn every 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 time we have an opportunity. Brother Buchanan and 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 uh, 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 brother Dustin just got back this morning. Yesterday, sometime yesterday, sometime they just spent three days in conferences and classes to help you and to minister to you. And there came a period of time when we had so much information and we were trying to accomplish so much and we were trying to get this program started and this area started and we, and, and we were so focused on the program we'd forgotten to pray for the power. And I don't know, I, I see Brother Donnie back there. I know he will remember this. Brother Donnie, do you remember uh, years and years, probably, probably 13 years ago in the little building, uh, when we had the little platform up there and there was a little plug-in right there on the thing. And I talked about getting plugged in. And we will never accomplish anything in this church unless we get plugged in. And I use that as an illustration. We have to pray to get plugged into the power of God. It was at that time where we had everybody on the left side of the church all the way to the front. And I said, our greatest desire is to fill up this side of the building. Say amen. 25 and 30 people. I said, but we'll never do it unless we get plugged in. Guess what? We got plugged in. But it's so easy. It's so easy to get so caught up with the things in life, get so caught up with our schedules, get so caught up with our hobbies, get so caught up with our business, get so caught up in ministry. We forget to get plugged in. We forget to spend time with the one who gives us the power to accomplish the task. And you know what God will do? Okay. Go ahead. And we find out what we actually can do. And he said, without me, 
nothing. Now, let's don't get too spiritual with this. Mamas, you need the Holy Spirit to take care of them babies. Daddies, you need the Holy Spirit to run your household. Ladies and gentlemen, you need the Holy Spirit to help you get through a work day. I see people all the time posting on Facebook how they hate this and hate that and hate this job and hate that. And I'm, I'm around a bunch of sinners. That's a mission field. When's the last time you woke up in the morning and said, God, fill me with your power and turn me loose? Or do we try to do it ourselves? Do we try to kick the dominion out of our life ourselves? Do we try to use our willpower? Do we try to use our intellect? Do we try to use our ability? Or do we spend time with God and let him fill us with supernatural power? He said, I, I, I. He said, okay. He said, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired. Now watch what happens. Number two. We see the fatigue he experienced. Then I want you to see the frustration he expressed. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you get tired, you get irritable. Do I have a witness? Now watch. Defeating the enemy is the ministry. That's the task. Say that with me. That's the the jawbone is the tool. That's the task. This is the tool. Pick it up. God gave it to him. Isn't it amazing how it says new? God said, donkey, die right here. He didn't go looking for it. They rose up against him. What am I going to use? Donkey right here. You think God had it there? I do think God had it there. Why does it say new? Because an old one would have been brittle and it wouldn't have worked. God knew what he was doing. For every task, God has a tool. Now watch. Picks up the tool, he accomplishes the task. He's doing God's work. But then he gets fatigued. And the Bible says he cast it. He threw it away. Look look what it says. I'm not making this up. Look what it says. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking. When he got when, <laughs> when he got through bragging about how he did it. He got tired. And he cast away the jawbone out of his hand. Why? Because now it's heavy. Under the anointing, he never felt it. But now when it's him, it's awful heavy now. And you know what most Christians do when they get fatigued? They get frustrated and quit what it was God called them to do in the first place. And they cast away that tool, that ministry, that class, that operation that mission, that whatever that might be. I'm not doing this no more. I'm tired of this. 
I'm tired of waving in cars. I'm tired of holding the door open. I'm tired of making coffee. I'm tired of reaching the homeless. I'm tired of reaching Zimbabwe. I'm tired. I'm just. I can't tell you how many people I've seen get tired and throw their jawbone down. In frustration, it's very easy to quit something you're not supposed to quit. It's very easy to give up on an area and give up on something that God never told you to. In the frustration he expressed, we see the activity that's recorded. He casts away the jawbone. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In his frustration, we see his activity that he recorded. Then the answer that he requested, God, are you going to let me die? You see how his tone changes? Watch this. Verse, verse 16. I have slain a thousand men. God lets him get tired. God lets him get thirsty. And he says in verse 18, And he was sore athirst and called on the Lord and said, Thou hast given this great deliverance. He's changing his tone now, isn't he? It's not I, but it's thy. God, you did this. God, you accomplished this task. You know what revival truly is? It's when we truly see where it comes from. And we quit depending on our own self. I ain't going to lie. I've quit stuff before because I got tired. There's preachers quitting preaching. There's teachers quitting teaching. There's singers quitting singing. Everything you can imagine because they get frustrated because they've been trying to do it on their own and not in the power of God and you can't do it on your own very long. So you get frustrated and you throw it down. I ain't doing it no more. I ain't going no more. And God will let us get frustrated. Because it's not, you don't go looking for the water fountain Till you get thirsty. God, are you just going to let me die? After all you did? Oh, Lord, don't let me die in the hands of these Philistines. Don't let me go back to the enemy. Now watch what God did. This is the cool part. Don't you see the faithfulness he enjoyed? The fatigue he experienced, the frustration he ex- Am I talking to anybody tonight? Am I helping anybody? Now watch this. He calls out to God and watch what God does. And God clave a hollow place that was in the... See, there's a revelation. 
He says, son, I'll give you something to drink, but you're going to have to go back and pick it up. Let that sink in a moment. That thing you quit, that thing you gave up on, that marriage you walked out of, that relationship you gave up on, hey, hey, that problem you, you, that ministry, you're going to have to pick up what you threw down. I don't want to do that. Do you realize God could have let water come out of anything? I've read where God let water come out of a rock. But he didn't. He said, you're going to have to go back and pick up what I provided for you to get the job done in the first place. And the Bible says he clave an area out of that jawbone. Don't think that's insignificant. Watch what it says. I'm enjoying this if nobody ain't. When he picked up the jawbone, what came out? What did he need? And when he had drunk, his spirit came again. And he provided. There's a revelation that he showed. And there's a refreshing he supplied. What have you walked out on that you need to go back to? What have you cast down that you need to pick up? What is God speaking to you tonight? Have you been trying to operate in your own power, in your own ability? Have you been trying to keep your schedule the best way you know how and, and, and you found out that instead of eight hours a day, you need 50 hours a day? Guess what? If you will do it in the supernatural power of God, God can give you 50 hours a day in five. Now, I don't know about you, but I think this would be a good time to pray. Because I want revival. How about y'all? Well, let's do this. I quit early so we could pray. Would you get on that piano for me if you don't mind? Let's do it, people. Let's find the place. Let's find the place. Let's find the place. Let's find the place. Let's pray. Let's ask God what do we need to do. What, what, what area of this message tonight did God speak to your heart about? Come talk to him. Do you need to cry out to him and say, God, I'm thirsty. God, I'm dying. 